electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grosso. Tonight on Fast, we are trading this late-day sell-off. Stocks dropping like a rock into the close. So what exactly happened and what comes next? We'll break it all down for you straight ahead. Plus, a rocket reversal. The high-flying Reddit stock crashing back to earth today as traders set their sights on a new target. We'll bring you the name. And later, Tim is stepping up to the plate to pitch his next best idea why he thinks this stock is an under-the-radar way to play a return to the friendly skies. We start off with the tech trade getting torpedoed once again today. The Nasdaq falling 2.7% with fierce selling into the close. The index is now having its worst two-day stretch since September. And the big guys got whacked. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet all falling hard. Those four names losing a combined $180 billion in market cap in today's sell-off. But check out what happened in the bond market. Yields? They held fairly steady today. So what was this culprit for the tech wreck late into the close? And Guy, I'll go to you because I tossed to you yesterday with basically the same setup. We saw a sell-off into the close. Yields didn't seem to spike into the close. Yields were steady. So what gives here, do you think? Yeah, day two of this, right? I think the market's starting to say, wait a second, you know, although yields have been steady to your point, they're still not coming back down to levels where maybe people get a bit more sanguine and you know, I still think we're going to ratchet through 1.5%. And in a 1.5% tenure, in my opinion, uh, in a world where valuations seemingly didn't matter, I think valuations are starting to matter. And that's what we're seeing. Coupled with that, for the first time in a long time, you're seeing good news, bad stock action. We talked about that last night. You know, Zoom, obviously, is a culprit there. NVIDIA as well. And, you know, just so we're clear, I thought NVIDIA was going to take a run at all-time highs, as did, I think, for Zoom. And both have obviously done the exact opposite. So in a world where yields are going higher, which I still believe they will, where valuations are starting to matter, where good news is now bad news, you have to ask yourself, is an 8% decline in the Nasdaq since I think the February 12th high, is that enough? I don't think it is. Yeah. And, and are the yields being where they are right now, is that enough to keep higher the sector that had been benefiting off of higher yields, and that would be financials. I mean, financials, mid-session, I would say 2 o'clock or so, strong gains in the money center banks, Karen. And then as the day went on, those started to show cracks as well. The S&P financials paired its gains by more than half in the, in the, in the course of hours. Mm-hmm. Although I still think it was a very good day for financials and it's been a very, very good run. I still think the setup is great, right? You have a steeper yield curve, so you have better net interest margins. But think about all the other businesses they have that are doing well, right? So you have particularly ones that have big capital markets business. So like a JP Morgan, for example. I mean, you know, the IPO market, the SPAC market, the financing market, it's, it's red hot. So there's other, way, there's other revenue streams. And also we might see a release of some of those gigantic reserves that they took if credit quality holds up. So there's a lot to really like, as well as for looking for stocks that have cheap PEs, 
this is a place to go relative to the high flyers that you just talked about where the PEs, even though they come down a lot, mm -hmm. are still just levitating at ridiculously high numbers. Yeah. So mm -hmm. is this is this a no brainer rotation, Grasso? I mean, you've been sort of a skeptic when it comes to the tech trade and how long that can last. Here we are. So is the no brainer rotation into financials or, or where else? Yeah, it's, it's a whole value play. So you don't want to own growth with a rising rate environment. And to Karen's point, so you have a yield curve as a tailwind. You have a reopening as a tailwind to financials. You have multiple vaccines as a tailwind. You have the XLF blowing out levels that we haven't seen since 07. It's all about value. You only want to own value. The only thing on my screen that was green today were all my value hold, holdings uh, getting beaten up are my SPACs, growth. Only thing that you could buy in this environment is value. It's underpriced. Okay. Right, let's, let's fast forward, Tim. Let's look into our crystal balls, let's if fast you forward. will. Okay. Um, and are we going to see this as, as a dip that will be bought? I mean, that's, a, that's what we've seen over and over again, where we have this sort of tantrum about rates. We see the sell-off and the high-valued tech names in particular, and then we see dip buying. Arc last week, every single day of the week, went in and added large positions in stocks that sold off pretty hard. So, look, how, how high can rates go? I mean, at some point, um, the question is, what's going to take rates to two and a quarter to two and a half in the short to medium term? I mean, come on. This is the same uh, economy that uh, when it comes out of COVID and, and exerts some muscle and gets some stimulus behind it, uh, at some point confronts the same issues that had rates compressing uh, for, uh, we know, four decades, but, but some of the factors. So, look, I'm not terribly concerned that rates get too far away from us. And at some point, look, if things get so strong, the Fed is going to have to move in reverse. And we know what that's going to do to rates. It's going to collapse rates when the Fed uh, finally is willing to let the market know that they have to pull back on some of the stimulus, which, of course, they do. Uh, but, but before that, um, think about some of the key levels for the market that I think you know, the chartists will look at. And we have some great ones that are always on the show. But, but if tech has underperformed the S&P by 5.5% since February 12th, which is really when we started to ratchet higher on rates. But if we close below the 100 tomorrow on the triple Qs or the NASDAQ 100, it'll be effectively the first time outside of that move through you know, March 5th, I believe it was, on the way down in COVID, which to me almost doesn't even matter or count, I should say. Um, but then you get back into the middle part of 2019. We triple Qs, NASDAQ 100 go through this kind of a pullback if, in fact, we close through that. Apple has traded more days below the 100-day moving average uh, than it has really again, and I don't count that move through that uh, in the midst of COVID, but back since, again, June of, of 2019. So you are starting to get some damage on the charts here, but, but ultimately, yes, I do think people run back into the safety of big cap tech. I, I do think you have a case here where, um, yes, rates are moving higher. Yes, this is seemingly painful. Yes, you have to reassess uh, which trades work. And I think the, the biggest place where uh, the profound damage, though, are in these these high multiple tech names. I mean, I have a, a screen. Everyone probably has uh, some screen on on their or some box on their screens where they they've highlighted some of these big, big multiple stocks. And whether they be the covid beneficiaries like a Peloton or a Zoom or whether they be a square. Uh, but all of these stocks were down big today. And the damage there, I think, is something that you have to be careful about. And I don't think people are going to be running. in. I think we've seen some highs there yeah. uh, for the foreseeable. And another another area in, in big cap tech or technology as a whole, software. And Karen, you've been talking about this, the IGV, the software ETF. You're short this one. This had a tough day, tough few days. Yeah. 
It really had a tough day, although I will caution the biggest, by slightly, the biggest component is, is Microsoft, but it also has Adobe, Salesforce, uh, ServiceNow, uh, DocuSign, CrowdStrike, those super high flyer names. So that got hit especially hard. It took it back from 380 something or so, the index was, to about 343 now. That's a very big move for an index. But still, the PE multiples are really, really high. That, for me, is a hedge against my, you know, MAGA kind of stocks that I still think of as value. I think of Alphabet as value. I think of Facebook as value. Apple, a little less value but I still really believe the 5G story. So I definitely took pain on those, and I'm staying with those. I think, ultimately, um, those will trade higher. Some of these, you know, Zoom from 568 to 341, I don't know. I, it still seems expensive. The one that does sort of catch my eye is Palantir, which has gone from 39 to 23-something or other. That was 24. a key in Guy's but, hope uh, trade for the year, as you all will definitely <laughs> recall. Um, but, Guy, you know, an interesting part of this whole thing, I mean, Tim's, uh, a crucial point that Tim is making is that rates won't go too high from here. And so I, I put it to you, Guy, is that in your base case scenario, especially the argument before was that rates around the world are so negative or so low that they are anchors to U.S. rates. But actually, we have seen those rates move higher over the course of the past week or so as well, slowly. So that anchor is, so, is levitating along with U.S. bond yields, which will allow for bond yields in the U.S. theoretically to move higher. Yeah, and you have to be concerned, though, if the chain that's holding the anchor breaks, you know, the anchor can do what it wants, but everything else sort of right. And that's what's, I think that's what's, I understand what Tim is saying without question. I get it. I just think, you know, the market seems, seemingly believes that somehow the central banks can control these things. I think it's out of their control at this point. You know, you're seeing prices rise on the back of an ISM number that was disappointing today. All the signs are there. Uh, soft commodities, steel, copper, those things. Levels we haven't seen in quite some time. I mean, inflation is there as well. We just choose not to acknowledge it or, or measure it. And I do believe that if we start to ratchet through this 1.5%, I think people are going to take notice. Now, Jerome Powell is going to speak tomorrow at some Wall Street Journal, I think, uh, jobs conference or something. I'm sure he'll do his best to jawbone things back to some level of uh, normalcy. I just wonder, though, if we're at a point now where they can say all they want, it's not going to matter. Again, every time we've seen this, it's worked to the market's uh, benefit, and there's no reason to believe it won't happen again tomorrow. But as rates creep higher, I think people are taking notice that finally valuations do, in fact, matter. All right. Our next guest believes the tech wreck is far from over. Tom Lee is head of research at Fundstrat Global Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Tom, always good to see you. Um, you. You have said the tech trade is done. Is that what, in fact, we are witnessing right now? Uh, yeah, I think tech's leadership, um, which was so astounding for the past decade, I think we're seeing a new leadership emerge. And I, I think that's one of the things that is sort of central to our thinking is what is the market telling us? And the leadership of energy and the financials and cyclicals to us is, is really telling us that a vigorous economic recovery is underway. These growths, these cyclicals could turn into growth stocks, which means traditional growth stocks aren't as shiny and as interesting. Hmm. Does that um, necessarily mean, I mean, Tom, if you believe in all of these sort of growthy, cyclical, uh, not, excuse me, not growthy, but leverage to the growth story, I should say, um, names are going to go higher and that's where the leadership is. Does that necessarily mean that inflation will, in fact, go higher as well and so will bond yields? Uh, well, I think uh, we're struggling with what that means and I think the market is because inflation has essentially been eradicated from the market's thinking for the last 12 years. 
And I think that's why there's this hypersensitivity to both rates and inflation expectations. But, you know, I think the Fed's been pretty clear. If energy rises or commodity prices surge and it causes CPI to rise, that's not really inflation. It'll show up in CPI. But what they're worried about really is a change in how people's inflation expectations are anchored. I think that's going to take quite a lot of time. So I think you have a, a period where the economy could run really hot. That's why the cyclicals are rallying. But it's not something that's going to force the Fed's hand. And I know the bond market's been testing the Fed, but that's really the question. I mean, it's a key question. So, Tom, I'm in, the, I'm in your camp. I've been playing the value trade as well. Are you playing what I've been doing is playing uh, European levered value plays, especially in the chemical space. Europe has lagged and they have a bigger leverage towards a reopening trade because they're based more on tourism than we are. Are you thinking about that dynamic? Uh, I mean, Europe's interesting because it has lagged. Uh, you know, we did a little global sort of look, look around for our clients yesterday and the leadership for equities has come out of China, Korea and Japan. Those have really led the turn. And then we're starting to see like Chile um, and then U.S. cyclicals sort of start to participate. So to me, it feels like domestic cyclicals are really early in turning up and they're not extended. But it, eventually, I agree, I think then it would lead to European financials um, starting to rally because, you know, they're the they're the epicenter of the value trade within Europe. Tom, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. If you think this rotation is really happening and uh, tech is going to be sort of a somewhat of an anchor on the market, do you think the market as a whole will rise? Uh, yeah, it's a dilemma. Tech, tech and growth is 67% or two-thirds of the market cap. And it's really what builds careers for most institutional investors. So growth stocks are really what the professional money manager trades and understands. I, I think there's a chance that Growth just does okay. Jeff DeGraff mentioned that because there's money flowing into the market. But for someone to have beat the market, outperform, it's really that 23% or 30% cyclical exposure that's going to do it. And of course, energy is an example. Energy's up 30% this year. I would say out of our entire client base, maybe 5% have dabbled in energy. Most have actually essentially zero weight in the energy sector. Most think it's just an annoying little group that's risen. You know, Tom, it's interesting that consensus is now that the economy is going to come roaring back. And so, you know, I want to go to the contrarian uh, thinking on this. And that would be so many states are, are you know, lifting their restrictions now. Um, and while President Biden moved up the timeline on getting U.S. adults vaccinated to the end of May, there's still that critical time period and the variants are still out there. Is that a, a possible, you know, a possible sort of caveat to this whole forecast of yours? Uh, yeah, I mean, COVID's unpredictable. It's super dangerous. The variants are out there. Um, so nobody can say COVID's been vanquished. But if you look at a state like Florida, uh, that's been open, really relatively open for a while, their economy has actually been quite booming. And then if you look at states like North Dakota and South Dakota, where the prevalence of COVID plus the amount of vaccinations is over 60%, They've seen a 95% drop in cases. I mean, South Dakota now has like less than 100 per day. And so those economies as they open also have what appears to be a lot less risk. So I, I, I might say that the contrarian view would be people aren't 
this isn't people aren't bullish enough about the reopening because this is really like a post-war reconstruction period with government stimulus that is extremely boomy for real investment spending which is the biggest multiplier to gdp wow tom always great to get your thoughts thank you yeah thanks tom lee of fundstrat wow people might not be bullish enough grasso which says to me inflation yep. inflation inflation i don't know about you <laughs> It does. And if you and if you look at we talked about spending, we're on the first relief bill uh, of the Biden administration. And we're talking about I've thrown that number out there of 10 trillion dollars in spending coming. We haven't even spoken about infrastructure that will be probably coming in the middle of the summer. You're looking at GDP probably of six to seven percent. All the street is focused on is about four percent. They've underestimated that inflation is coming and that's why you want to buy value. All right. Coming up, the rocket reversal, the high flying stock grounded today. But is there a new Reddit target on the rise? The one name to keep on your radar. But first, feeling the chill snowflake falling in the after hours on results. The company's call is underway. We'll get you all the details after this quick break. Stay with us. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Snowflake. The stock is dropping with the company's conference call underway right now. Let's get to Josh Lifton with the numbers. Josh. So, Melissa, remember heading into this report, Snowflake had already been under some pressure here. It was down about 40 percent from its all-time high and now down in the after hours, too. I checked in with Andrew Nowinski over at D.A. Davidson. Here's what he liked in the print. He said product revenue, so their core software, $178 million, up 116 percent. RPO, remaining performance obligations, or the dollar amount committed to the company, $1.3 billion. That was up 213 percent. Big whale ads, Andy says, meaning they added 77 $1 million customers. That's up from 65 last quarter. So why is the stock down? And he's saying the upside did not roll through, meaning Q1 product revenue guidance did not impress investors, though full year guidance was better than expected. I did ask Andy why the buy rating here. He says, bottom line, they are growing very strongly, stronger than rivals with unmatched technology, in his words. On the call, CEO Frank Slootman Talked about improving operating efficiency. Customers know they have to step up their data game. They turn to Snowflake for that. Remember, Snowflake sells cloud-based software to help companies store, process, and visualize data. Slootman talked about customers like BlackRock. The company's continued push into the big enterprises like MasterCard. We have the tech and organization, he argues, to pursue the opportunities in front of us. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton. Guy Dami, what's your trade on Snowflake? 
Well, I'll take you back to November 12th, I believe. And if you recall, which I know you do, this stock exploded from basically this 235 level up to the all-time high. I believe it was 429 in December. And now we're round tripping. It reminds me actually of, of the space that we talked about yesterday. So how do you trade it? Well, first of all, the guidance, full-year guidance wasn't good enough given evaluation, number one. Number two, if you see this stock trade 20 million shares tomorrow, typically trades about five, and sort of holds this 235 level, I think it gives you a trading opportunity. So I understand the valuations are ridiculous. I understand the guide wasn't great. But I also understand that the market gives you opportunities every once in a while. So you see a five times normal volume day tomorrow with a low of about 235. I think you buy the stock for a trade. Yeah, I do, I do like guys a uh, little touch there on the round tripping it. I had a chart up as well. I like that November low and around the mid 220s. But just remember, this is at the epicenter. It's a $70 billion company. It's, it's in the wrong space if yields continue to rise. I will tell you, the biggest thing or a tailwind that it has going for it is a 22% short interest. This one can get going on any whiff of good news whatsoever. Uh, the Reddit crew can be all over this one in a heartbeat. All right. That stock was down, by the way, about, what, 9% in the regular session, down another 35 now. We're just getting underway here on Fast. Here's what's coming up next. A rocket reversal. Shares of the online mortgage company coming back down to earth after a meteoric run at a Reddit favorite. What stock could get caught up in the action next? We get some answers. And later, gold losing a bit of its luster today. So is it time to polish off that trade? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money, the latest target in the Reddit rebellion crashing back to earth today. Check out the action and shares of rocket companies, the stock falling more than 32 percent today after yesterday's huge run. RBC just downgraded the stock. You can read all about that on our website, cnbc.com slash pro. Meantime, let's bring in Justin Jen, the co-founder and president of ThinkNum Alternative Data, which tracks stock chatter on Reddit's Wall Street bets board. Justin, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. So you track the number of mentions stocks have on Wall Street bets. What do you use with that data? How is that useful? Yeah, well, so um, let me start by saying what we do in general. So we track uh, alternative data from the web. So we can track like where a company is opening and closing stores, who they're hiring. Um, and social media is obviously a big part of that, especially with Reddit recently. So uh, what investors really want to know is what are these stocks that uh, – people on Reddit are talking about, and then they use that um, to either potentially know when a stock could run up, or more importantly, for risk management. So if I have a portfolio and one of my stocks uh, starts getting talked about, then I want to know about that as soon as possible. So when you observe the chatter and you observe this activity, 
uh, on social media, Justin. Do you make a, a judgment or do you analyze the data to determine whether it's positive or negative? Because even from a risk management perspective, if you're a portfolio manager, I mean, the people on Reddit could be on the same side as the trade or completely opposite, as we saw in GameStop. It doesn't help you unless you know directionally um, how that commentary on Wall Street Bets is is couched. So we provide um, kind of uh, the number of occurrences for a stock on Reddit, and then we provide the comments. Um, we don't like say, hey, this comment is positive or negative because that can be kind of arbitrary. Uh, but our you know investment. Uh, our investor clients and some of the corporations that use this data, they have a lot of tools to do that sense of analysis on their own. Um, I will say that a lot of the, uh, you know, most people on Reddit tend to go long. So um, uh, usually the, the use case right now is if I'm short a stock that I want to know uh, because, you know, like a lot of these run-ups are on the long side, uh, not the short side. Okay. Let's, let's talk about um, the latest stock you picked up in terms of chatter on Reddit, and that would be Palantir. What are you seeing there? Yeah, sure. Um, so Palantir is an interesting one because it's a B2B company as opposed to B2C companies, which uh, basically everything else is. So we're seeing uh, in recent days, um, the amount of chatter is spiking again. Uh, and you know, it's spiking quite heavily, uh, about 30% over the past couple of days. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what that does over the next few days. And, and I think I asked you this at the beginning, but I'll ask you this again. Um, so you see this chatter. Is it predictive of unusual activity or is it coincident? Um, so in many cases, it's predictive. Um, in some cases, it's coincident. Uh, you know, we don't again, we don't claim to like analyze it and say everything is predictive. So we don't make that call. But the reason why we have. Um, you know, hundreds of hedge funds and kind of uh, investors talking to us is because that there is there is there is signal there. All right. Justin, great to have you with us. We hope you'll join us again. Bring us some more targets. Justin Jen of uh, ThinkNum. Well, as Justin mentioned, Palantir looks like it could be the next Reddit target. So we want to go to Mike Co. because, Mike, you spotted some pretty unusual options activity in that name today. Mike, what'd you see? Yeah. First of all, I'm big fans of uh, Justin and his co-founder, Greg. I know both those guys, very smart guys, and they're doing some really smart things that I think people should be paying attention to. And actually, one of the things he said was that there's actually been sort of a buildup in the chatter, and he didn't really indicate that that happened today, but that it has been going on. And that's actually what we've been seeing in Palantir. Today, that uh, traded about 610,000 contracts overall, calls outpaced puts by about three to one. And the most active options were the 26 strike calls that expire at the end of this week. And this is a pattern that we've seen many times in these cases, that people are trading very short dated upside in a lot of these names. As Justin was mentioning, most of the people who are doing this are making bullish bets, not bearish ones. And this is a stock that obviously had a big run up, fell back fairly shortly uh, thereafter. And we are starting to see a buildup of bullish activity on the short dated call side in this one again. Yeah. So, so Guy, I'll go to you on this one because you've been watching Palantir. I mean, you piece this all together and what does this give you, if anything? An opportunity. I mean, I hate using the word opportunity. I really do. But I think that's what this is, in fact. I mean, this 23 and a half level that Karen cited earlier in the show, that's been support. Obviously had this big pullback. But if you look, Goldman Sachs upgraded the stock in mid-February, I think a $34 price target. Kathy Wood obviously has been speaking about this. They just signed a deal with 3M Palantir. And oh, by the way, I think they're going to be able to scale down some of their business offerings 
to these MSBs, these mid-sized businesses, which I think makes the stock really attractive. So I can't speak exactly why you've had this precipitous sell-off, but I'll tell you, in terms of trading the stock, I think risk-reward at 23.5 sets up really well. It's not the same sort of squeezy action uh, probably here in Palantir. I mean, the, the percent short is about 7%, Karen, so not, not a you know, GameStop playbook, but certainly that could be a factor, too. Right. Well, actually, just as we're talking, the stock's now twenty four seventy five. So um, it's uh, maybe it has bottomed. I think. Uh, I think it's sort of interesting. I think. I mean, it has come a long way down. It is nowhere even remotely close to approaching anything like cheap. But I think. I mean, the growth story is clearly there. This one is the most interesting to me of all the ones that have sort of gotten crushed. And just one thing I want to add about your question to um, Justin about. Is the chatter indicative? His point about uh, most of them being bullish mm-hmm. to me would be that's sort of interesting because yeah. if most of the activity is bullish, then that would be bullish for the stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grasso? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you look at Palantir, you, you have to look at the government contracts, as Justin said. It's facing uh, a $610 million in revenue there, and I think that will increase dramatically. So we've touched on it as far as the technicals, as far as the Reddit angle, but I do believe they have a a backlog and an increasing backlog of government contracts and potential. The analytics that they provide are going to be huge for the government, especially for uh, President Biden's administration. They're going to lean on them a lot. I do believe that the stock can run for fundamental reasons as well as technical. It is really interesting, uh, Tim, to see all of these firms now realize or or recognize that social media can actually have an impact on stock action. We had the investment sciences guy from Barclays the other day who looked at social media. This guy, I talked to somebody from this firm called PiQ, which tracked the bot in social media, sort of the fake activity that could be harnessed to help drive stock action as well. I mean, this seems to be more of a force these days. Look, how you get an edge in hedge fund world on intelligence is very different today than it was 20 or 40 years ago. And and uh, I think it's very clear understanding where uh, some of these momentum forces are at work, especially if you are short a name, that's kind of been proven obvious, but uh, on the long side. And, and look, uh, ultimately, money managers are really paid to, to have stocks move higher. Um, we, we like to combine it with great fundamentals, but but I, I, I think um, ultimately I, I think there will be much less focus on on this wave of Reddit dynamics. But um, because I think the presumption here is behind all this is a wave of liquidity that is driven by you know forces including the Fed. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think there's no question uh, that some of the smartest and and uh, I think the funds with the most resources and maybe you don't need the, those kinds of resources anymore are, are using data, uh, big data, using momentum. And these are all ways to pick stocks. Yep. Uh, Palantir, by the way, up about 6% right now. Mike, thanks for that. We'll see you on Friday. Uh, Options Action, that's a full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, Walmart taking on the chin again today, but one of our traders is liking these everyday low prices. We'll bring you that trade. But first, Tim is winding up for a fast pitch, the one stock he is playing in the reopening trade. That name, when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of General Electric lighting up today, hitting its highest level since June of 2018. And Tim says the stock has even more spark ahead. He's stepping up to the plate with his fast pitch. Tim, take it away. 
Stemming, although I'd be on the mound if I was pitching, Mel. Anyway, uh, uh, we've whatever. got to correct that wording. Not your fault. Not your fault. Anyway, GE, let's talk about this because this is one of these restructuring stories that, that a lot of people feel like is such a slow mover and not really restructuring. Um, I'd say wrong. I'd say this is restructuring that's actually working. Uh, three and a half billion in free cash flow last year. I expect there's probably close to four billion in free cash flow this year. They are actually selling off assets. That Baker Hughes sale has also benefited dramatically by Baker Hughes price effectively doubling as energy has gone higher. Um, but the balance sheet risk and the equity dilution way, way overrated. And, and the other great thing about GE in a rising rate environment is that the pension liability, which is you know about $18 billion, so a major part of the balance sheet uh, heaviness and some of the weight on that is coming down dramatically as rates move higher. A two-year, uh, excuse me, a 2% 10-year means that that pension liability is probably $10 billion at the end of this year. Uh, the big story and the exciting part of this story really is that I'm going to make an argument that GE is, is really a COVID recovery story and that it's an airline recovery story and that it has the most leverage to the recovery in the airline industry. Remember, aviation is about 34 percent between aerospace and aviation, about 34 percent of their revenue stream. And, and such a dramatic uh, pricing, essentially trough pricing for the commercial the commercial aircraft business that actually I think this is a tailwind and we we are all trying to handicap where airlines are going but where Boeing is going this is the one maybe with the most leverage finally you know, when you think about what's what's going on with with ultimately just the restructuring and and the positioning of the company look I, I think that GE at this point has proven that they're taking very difficult steps but if you look at the at the multiple relative to its peers in the electrical equipment and and essentially the the multi-industry uh, companies and this is a sector they, they trade cheap to their peers. So I know there are folks like J.P. Morgan, uh, Stephen Tusa out there who's still got a $5 target on this. I think the street's way behind on this story. Uh, the move higher in energy prices is also very good for their power and renewables business. So uh, I think if it's a very complicated story. But if you look at that chart, and I think we have a couple there, the five-year chart on this story simply tells you this is a company that from 2016 into the bottom of 2018, um, somewhere around 1250 is really where you saw this thing. It bottomed at five or six. But around 1250, which is where the stock struggled to get through on the way back, even out of COVID, it's a major level that stock has now, if you look recently, has traded through. And actually, we're now in two and a half year highs on it. And I think this is a stock chart that's also a catalyst based upon where it's come, its bottom, it's consolidated, and the restructuring is happening, and off she goes. Karen has a question for you, Tim. Karen? Yeah, Hello. I do. Good pitch, Timmy. Um, so this little bit of a hardball, where should it go then? What are you looking for in this stock? Well, we have to be somewhat realistic here. But if this thing trades even with industry peers at around, you know, 15 times uh, EV EBITDA, this is probably an $18 stock. And I think the, the overshoot comes with if you think that the energy sector. But again, remember, their power and renewables business is another 35 percent. And I think what we've seen is their their move back into wind turbines and some of their strengths mean that some of these businesses don't have to trade in line with industry peers. They could even outperform them. But again, if you believe in the balance sheet and you believe that these 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 core businesses re-rate, I think you can be putting, a, you know, a 15 to 16 times multiple on it. All right. No more questions. It's time to vote. Are you buying Tim's pitch on GE? Diadami, what do you say? 
Well, I brought my uh, smart board with me, Mel. Can you read my smart board for the audience? It Is says, that possible Tim, <laughs> exclamation point, brought this power pitch to life, underscored with two exclamation points. <laughs> now, I, I know that probably if, doesn't do anything for you, but of course, that's a great GE slogan, as if, if you Brings recall. Good we bring good life. things to life. Yeah. And I think he did a great job. I know Steve thinks 21 in 21. That may be a little um, too high, but I think 18 and 21 makes sense. Well done, Tim Seymour. Karen, what do you say? Yeah, I have a question first. If guy's using a smart board, is it still a smart board? <laughs> it may just be a board. <laughs> okay. I'm just teasing. I love guy. Um, and you have to be, you can't be as funny as Guy without being smart, so I'm just teasing. I have, I have a buy on this as well. I feel stupid for having missed it so far. Good pitch, Timmy. I know Steve, you like it as well. I have a buy. All right. Steve Grasso, what do you say? Well, of course I'm going to say a buy. This huh? has been, uh, I've been right there with Tim. This has been a name that I've loved. This fits right into the value, uh, value uh, basket. It's been up, it was up 20% in the month of February. I had thought it could do another 20% pretty quickly. That brings it to probably middle 15s. I do believe it's going to above 20 this year, but I'll, I'll, I'll be very happy with 18. It's a buy. Clean sweep. Traders have voted. It is your turn to vote out there. Are you buying Tim's fast pitch on General Electric? You can head to our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money to vote. We got the results later in the show. But first, gold prices hitting their lowest level since early June. Is this precious metal turning into a fool's trade? We'll break it down. Much more Fast Money in two. Mark your calendars, 3 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, CNBC's Evolve live stream. You'll hear from Occidental CEO Vicky Gahalab, plus a must-see conversation with former Secretary of State and U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry. Register now at cnbcevents.com slash Evolve Live. All right, check out gold prices losing a bit of shine and sinking to the lowest level since last June. The move taking mining stocks lower with it. Hecla, Ashanti, Barrick Gold all dropping in today's session. Guy, what happened? You know, in August, the GDX was 44. It looked like we were off to the races. Gold was, you know, everybody loved gold, including me. And I try to keep my dogma out of it, but clearly it's, it's seeping its way in. Uh, if you had told me all the things that were going to transpire, and I do this all the time, over the last few months, where's gold? I would have been like all-time highs, Mel, yet here we are languishing. I will say this. This 31 level in the GDX, this is where we exploded higher from in April of last year. I think we're going to hold... But it's been a really tough one, and people will point out, correctly or incorrectly, that rising rates is not a good thing for gold. I would say that central banks globally trying to torch their currencies is. I still try to stay with this trade, although below 30 in the GDX, uh, it's, it's sort of a no mas for me. Yeah. Uh, Tim, where are you in the mining trade of this? Well, the miners are, are very different than the metal. I, mm-hmm. I actually like gold here, and I think investors can be adding some you know, reasonable part of, of uh, a gold allocation here. Again, reasonable. Uh, but, but when it comes to miners, whether it's, whether it's copper miners, whether it's gold miners, whether it's miners even of iron ore uh, or some of the bulks, uh, what we're clearly seeing is not only just a reflation trade, but we're seeing better fundamentals but better run companies, not growth at all costs, not going to dig a hole somewhere uh, where they know there's nothing. Again, I, I mentioned how Southern Copper yesterday said there may not be new meaningful supply of copper for 8 to 12 years. And, and therefore, if we are getting real industrial demand, I think you want to be in the miners of industrial metals. Yeah. And um, we've seen Bitcoin 
uh, regain its footing a bit after the, the SEC, Gary Gensler, there's some concern about regulation of, of Bitcoin, Karen. Um, is this to you mm-hmm. like the true hedge for you now for inflation? Well, for me, it's the most inflation hedge I think I have, maybe the banks. But to me, what's happening in gold is really a reflection of what's happening in Bitcoin, right? Gold used to be the safe haven trade for this notion of fiat currencies running amok or inflation or even deflation. And um, we've seen, you know, scares of all of those things. And yet Bitcoin seems to actually be taking what's starting to be a very meaningful amount of money from the gold as a hedge trade, I think. And I think that will continue. Yeah. It's easier more volatile, but it's easier to do. Grasso? Yeah, I think when you have the Fed starting to discuss digital currency of, of its own, it really takes the tailwind out of gold. If you are a gold bull and you've seen the charts that Guy was just referring to, you always want to buy the, uh, the miners off the bottom. The miners usually outperform two or three to one the actual metal. We haven't seen that this year. So if you're thinking about a tailwind in gold and you're looking for the bounce, I'd play it with the GDX. I'm not so sure we're going to get one anytime soon, but if that's what you're looking for, GDX is the play. All right. Coming up, the time to go shopping. Weakness in Walmart has one of our traders adding this name to their cart, their bull case next. Plus, it's electric. Are you buying Tim's fast pitch on GE? Head to our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money to vote. We got the results and Fast Money comes right back. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with the Wendy's CEO. Catch that full interview. Top of the hour on Mad Money. All right. Let's look at shares of Walmart falling again today. The stock is now down 12 percent since reporting earnings two weeks ago. Karen, you stepped in, though. Yes, I stepped in both Walmart and Target. I think, you know, it's trading at about a market multiple. And I think that disappointment about them spending capital on their business doesn't really make sense to me. They've both proven to be good stewards of capital. The return on invested capital has been good. So I think they absolutely deserve the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, you know, it's trading as a, it's not a reopened trade. And so I think that's part of what's going on here. And yet I think they'll be a beneficiary of reopened trades and stimulus as their customers have money to spend. And they shift from spending household goods to things that are higher margins. So I like them both. I think they're overdone. And I think, you know, who else is probably buying Walmart is Walmart and Target, I'll bet, for Target as well. Yeah. Like them both. Good point there. Tim, would you be a buyer? I'm, I'm, I'm long. So as Karen says, when you go home long, you're a buyer. And I, I'm a big believer in the Walmart story, both the e-commerce story and, and how they've, they've added that multiple part of their business. And, and it's not just groceries. And, and I also agree that, that stimulus is a massive windfall for Walmart. Um, people will be going into Walmart to spend, and they may actually uh, enjoy being in the store if, if they have a vaccine. So um, I like the multiple. It's hardly expensive to itself. It should be rating on Walmart Plus, uh, and therefore I think the, the, the multiple is moving higher. Guy, do you like Walmart, or would you go to a retailer that may be more leveraged to reopening, one maybe that didn't do as well during the pandemic, really benefits from an actual brick-and-mortar experience? Now, I think this Walmart level at 128, if you remember, this is where we broke out from it, but it was a prior all-time high. And I'll say the one thing about Walmart, you know, they were selling those, those, um, those, those whiteboards that we use for like $5 a board. But what I noticed, <laughs> they, they put smart boards out 
and I was able to get mine for $35. And I thought it was like, look at me getting over on the Walmart. So maybe they're not as smart as I thought. 128 your level. Quickly, take mm-hmm. a look at MasterCard. It scares me a little here. Traded up to the levels we saw late August, early September of last year. Seemingly it failed around this 370 level. Just something to keep in mind. But Walmart at 128, I think the risk reward is very good. Grasso, you want to talk Walmart, Target, or some other stock that you just want to throw in there like I did? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I'll talk Walmart. I, I think the problem you have with Walmart and, and a Costco, two names that I, that I actually do like, they're treated and they're traded like bond proxies. So when you start to see uh, bond prices roll over and yields rise, these stocks do the same thing. They roll over. And they don't have, you don't have pricing power. And what I mean by that is they can't raise prices. They're known for low prices. So when their clientele comes in and is battling with higher gas prices, they get burned on both sides of it. I want a, a retailer that has pricing power. Capri Holdings has that and has European exposure. CPRI, I'm still long it. Incredible move and going much higher. All right. Well, don't get burned on this one. A few more minutes to vote. So head on over to our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money to vote for Tim's pitch on General Electric. We will have the results after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to find out if the viewers at home are buying Tim's pitch on GE. And it looks like this pitch electrified the Twitterverse. More than 60% of voters are buying your pitch, Tim. We haven't had those sorts of results for months. Months. Amazing. Right on. Having the time of my life. Yeah, you Having are. Having the time of my in life. In your heart, you are. We can't play the music, but in your heart, you are. Time for the final trade. I time can to- sing it. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I won't. I won't. But I, I, I'm having the time of my life with the Fast Money crew, as always. So, uh, uh, GE, dance with the one that brung you. All right. Steve Grasso, final trade. Residio Technologies. Nobody follows this name. R-E-Z-I. You want to follow this one because it's going to be a double. Bye. Karen. Yeah, I'm familiar with that one. It's interesting. But my final trade, Target and Walmart like them both. Guy. I love Mel called beep on Tim Seymour there. That's fantastic that you just did. Sing it, Tim. Go ahead. And he didn't do it. Love that. Get met, Mel. M-E-T. Insurers going higher here. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow. Five more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, package-less and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.